After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature, with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. I have been waiting to be able to preach on this particular passage, actually to preach on the Overflow series, the Christmas series here at Boulder all year. I actually got to start this series at Crosswalk Church two weeks ago when I was in California. And uh, as I got to preach there, I, I said to them, man, I've been thinking about this series all year long, and, and I, I don't get to preach this at Bold, I get to preach this here in Crosswalk, and I was very excited to be able to do that there at Crosswalk, and then I thought, that's fantastic to be able to preach it there, and I thought, that's great. But then I was in Spain last weekend, and I was preaching to all the leaders there and talking to them about innovation in church and stuff with that, and it was great, but I was thinking, man, I just can't wait to get back to Boulder. Can't wait to get back there and open up this particular passage this particular passage in Revelation. And I know you're thinking right now, what has this passage got to do with Christmas? Shouldn't we be in Joseph and Mary? Shouldn't we be with the wise men? Shouldn't we be with Hark the Herald Angels Sing? 
I just stay with me a little bit and maybe it'll kind of come together. Maybe you read the Daily Walk and maybe it actually kind of fell in place altogether. But as I read this passage, it reminds me of this particular verse, and you guys probably know this pretty well. It says there really quite clearly, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, right? How many of you guys know, you memorize this, the words to remember? Pretty good. All the kids, that, well, one person, well, our head older did. All the kids did this, they remember it, with our head older. That's really good. It's a fantastic passage. In fact, kids love to memorize the words to remember because it's really easy for them to memorize things because their brains work. We as adults love to pretend that our brains work, that we're all wise and all-knowing, but placing Scripture inside there and memorizing it, that would require reading it. That would require us actually reading it more than once. <laughs> that would require us trying to remember it. <sighs> Did you really want us to remember it? But when you think about it, it is pretty fantastic, and it's not hard. You can try it with me. You can think about it. You don't have to say it out loud. Just think about it as I say it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I mean, it's a pretty fantastic text. And I know you're kind of excited about this, but get this, get this. There's a whole brand new series coming in January. It's called Grounded in Love. And I know some of you are thinking, oh my goodness, Grounded in Love? We're going to get to do the words to remember in Grounded in Love? Yes, because we're going to change everything in the new year. I know, lots of things are changing. In fact, the entire worship service is going to change. Nothing will be the same starting January, the first Sabbath in January. You'll be like... What, what? Yes, I know you're excited, I can tell. People have asked me if there's any emotions at Boulder. I said, there are, they're just, they're in emails. Um, <laughs> people articulate them very well. They write long emails to themselves. But there is, there is, because the very first thing that we're gonna do, guaranteed, the very first item for the beginning of the service starting in January will be the words to remember. So if you love the words to remember, because we're gonna ask the whole church to memorize the words to remember, that'll be the first item, it's great. But if you also love worship and you love singing, don't worry, it's gonna be the very first item in the entire service. We're gonna put all the songs together and it'll be the very first item in the entire service. But I know some of you, love the sermon. So we've decided to do this, put the sermon as the very first item in the entire service. Before everything else, there'll be the sermon. Some of you, though, you love kids' life. It's okay. I'm going to put the kids' life in at the very first item. Before anything begins, kids' life's going to happen. And some of you, I know, you're thinking you love the welcome. Well, the welcome's going to be the very first item. Before anything else takes place, but there's some of you who've been dreaming about this for a long time. You say, worship through giving. That's what I live for in church. That's going to be the very first item. And I know, I'm guaranteeing it's going to be the very first item signed there because I'm going to make sure that we put all of those things together in the very first item. Now you're wondering how we're going to do this, aren't you? How do we get all those things into the very first item? You have to turn up on time to see. Yeah, I know, yeah, I know, miracle, miracle. No, no, do, do, come, come January, come January, come and experience this and see, and then you will see the entire surface. But I'm just letting you know that if there's something you really want to experience and you really enjoy in worship, don't come on Sabbath and say, but I thought it was going to be at this point. Because I'm always amazed, you know, like I'm preaching right now, and there'll be people literally in about 
two minutes are going to turn up right now, I'm going to wait. No, <laughs> and they'll turn up right now, and that's because they turn up just for the sermon. That's the part they turn up. Well, they won't know because I've already told them. So you'll have to tell them <laughs> that everything changes on the first Sabbath of the new year. So if they want to hear the sermon, it's the very first item in January. All right. We're going to put it all together inside there because that's what's important to us. Let me ask you a few uh, serious questions here. What draws you to worship? What draws you to Jesus? What beats within your heart so that you would, just like it says in Revelation, you would say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And what would make you want to say that over and over again, 24-7, that you would just say, that is amazing? I think the problem is, is that we've diluted the word holy. We've made holy insignificant. I shared with you in 1 Samuel 19 a few weeks ago that uh, when you come to church, you expect something amazing to happen, right? And some of people, you know, when they come to church, they're like, yeah, I expect something amazing to happen. I expect the encounter to take place. When King Saul arrived into the holy place where Samuel was in Navoth, the Spirit of God spoke to him and something took place in his life. Yet sometimes we come and we just don't expect something to happen. And I think it's because when it comes to holy, we've just made it kind of oblique. We don't know how to understand the word holy. In fact, we use the word holy with holy Toledo, right? right? Some of us use the word holy, I don't know, Moses, right? Some people say holy Moses. Some people say holy cow, right? Some people say holy mackerel. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? Some people say, holy crud. Oh. Some people, when they're eating Michael Refuse's salsa, say, holy guacamole. All right? All right? And then some people, they say, holy mother, and they finish that off. All right? And you're with me. You're with me? Because what we've done is we've taken the word holy and we've just kind of diffused it. We use it as a word to amplify something else. We use it as a word to make something else that we think is really important, kind of important. Sometimes we use it as a negative word, holier than thou, but we don't use it in the way that God has used it. We don't use it in the way that the Bible has used it. So when you get into Revelation chapter 4, oh my goodness, that text, it's talking about the entry into the throne of God. And you remember we preached, maybe you were here when we preached through the whole book of Revelation. It's a phenomenal passage, right? Because it's entering into chapter 5, which is the throne of God. So Revelation 4 is like the, the entry into the throne of God. So Revelation 5 is where Jesus receives the scroll. It's the ascension chapter. After the resurrection, where Jesus receives the scroll and the world is taken over and it's like there's a change taking place in the universe. Revelation chapter 4 is this, this description. John is like taking images from Ezekiel. He's taking pictures from Isaiah. He's taking pictures from all of the First Testament and placing them all together and saying, let me describe this to you. Let me use images that are just going to burn 
pictures into your mind. And he uses images from Moses, from Sinai. He talks about the thunder and the lightning. He talks about great things where you see the awe and awesomeness of who God is inside it. He wants to evoke an emotion so that you're going to be crying out holy all the time inside here. It's, it's kind of like the reason why people, when they're writing great songs and great pieces of music, like Handel's Messiah, which Becky and I are going to go to this afternoon. I don't know if you guys do this, where you go to the Handel's Messiah sing-along. We do this every single year, so this afternoon we're going to go to the, the sing-along downtown in Boulder. And it's just one of those things where you get to sing the Messiah. You get to go through the journey. And I don't go just for the Handel's just for the chorus, the hallelujah chorus. I go for the entire journey. I love to be able to like, when I'm reading it and singing it and suddenly saying to myself, I, I know where that passage is from and I can see the story that's being told that Handel was trying to tell through this entire piece, which is a phenomenal piece. Obviously, they don't do the entire thing. It's only like 15 hours long. And so it's, but it is great to be inside there and to arrive at that place where you do want to say, holy, holy, holy is God. This is what he's drawn into. Revelation chapter 4 talks about 24 elders describing to us in metaphorical language that all these people, the complete humanity of the universe, they take their crown as, as did leaders back then and lay them before Caesar, and they lay them before God at the throne saying, I want to worship you. This is what I want to do. They use these images that Clark had read to us, the lion and the ox and the man and the eagle, talking about the strength and the service and intelligence and the swiftness. All of them, all the time, worshiping over and over again, just saying over to us all the time, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Are you with me on this? You feeling this? Who was and is and is to come. I and mean, when I think about these last three sentences, I'm thinking, he is the one who knows everything, who is and is to come. This is who is holy. This is who Revelation 4 is talking about. And yet, we don't recognize holy all the time. We don't recognize it because we dilute not only holy, we dilute all of our experiences. When someone falls in love, some of us get a little cynical with it. Some of us even try to explain it. Some of us need to justify it and explain, well, you know, it's just chemical reaction, really. Uh, neurons are flying right now. They're just kind of like attracted to each other. Just about sex, not really about love. And we kind of diffuse it instead of just letting it be love, right? When people actually see a beautiful meal and they're enjoying a beautiful meal, some people like to critique it. Some people like to tear it apart. Some people actually like to justify why they're actually eating it, can't even enjoy the moment because they're just hungry and want to enjoy the meal right there. When Moses stood before the burning bush, some of us would want to spend time analyzing why the fire wasn't burning the tree, and I don't understand, and what's really going on inside there, and was he really standing, or was he kneeling, and how did it go on, instead of actually just realizing this is the presence of God taking place right now. In fact, he didn't even know he was on holy ground until God told him, you are on holy ground. Because sometimes we are in the midst of holiness, and we don't know it's holy until God tells us and reveals and removes the scales and tells us, I'm here, I'm here, I'm in your life. I'm in the middle of your life. This is very difficult for us because we like to just say, this is holy and this is not holy. And this is holy and this is not holy. And God says, I'm with you all the time and I can talk to you all the time and I can work with you 
all the time, and I'm in conversation with you all the time. And I want you to be able to, all the time, declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I mean, this is what he wants us to kind of live through this entire season of Christmas. To be able to declare that God is holy all the time would be powerful to us. So let me tell you um, seven stories. Is that good? Yeah, you got time. I know, I know you're like thinking, ah, we've got all day. There's nothing really going on. Christmas, quite a while before Christmas. Yeah, 10 days. Seven stories, seven quick stories. Jesus and the bedroom, story number one. When I was a little boy, um, I really just dreamed all the time, about eight years old, that Jesus should come into my bedroom. And what I negotiated with Jesus, as you do as an eight-year-old, is that I said to him, I, I just want you to, every night, I just want you to appear in my room, and I, and I really would love you to use the door, right? I know, because I had read my Bible, that you can appear without using the door. But if there's a way that you could use the door, I would love that. However, however, every night, every night when I was eight years old, I would lie down on my bed, and I had one of those uh, cotton sheets, and the cotton sheets had these little nubbly uh, cotton things that I would just pull out. Horrible, I know. And I'd rip them out of the cotton sheets, one by one, and making all these long lines with no cotton threads inside them. My parents were not happy about this. And it was kind of like my fake rosary bead. And uh, as I'm pulling these out, I'd say my prayer. And I'd say my prayer to God. And I'd say, I actually want to see you. I desperately want to see you. I write songs about you, I, I pray to you, I, I hear about you, but I want to see your face. That was what I dream about as an eight-year-old boy. Story number two. Jesus and confrontation. When I was uh, nine years old, um, my dad was uh, culpitering in, in uh, Scotland, selling lots of books, the confrontation book. And, uh, and so I asked my dad if I could have a gift, this particular book. And this gives you a little insight into who I am. Um, it's as if a, a, a genie had just arrived and I had received this bottle, and the genie had just jumped out of this bottle and said, oh, master, because you are nine years old, you're not entitled to three wishes, you're entitled to only one, you little child. Now what is your wish? And the first word that came out of my life was confrontation. Uh-huh, yeah, I know. And so. I was kind of like, yeah, I want confrontation. That's what I want. Uh, the confrontation, by the way, in this country is called the Great Controversy. Uh, it's in England, it was called Confrontation, but in America, you guys call it the Great Controversy, which is a book that maybe some of you have read. And that's what I wanted. I wanted my own copy of the Great Controversy, or what I called the Confrontation. And I begged for this, and I received this book, and I remember when I received this book on my birthday, it was my present and wrapped up, and I was surprised that I got it. It was really exciting. My dad had thousands of copies of this. And, uh, <laughs> And I opened it up, and I, and I did what my parents do, which is I underlined and marked with a ruler, because I'm precise. And I have this copy in my office, so if after church you would like to see the copy, I can show you this particular copy. I've kept it all these years. And I underlined, and I started to underline everything that was important. And I underlined in red, because I had a red biro, 
and underlined in red everything that was important. And by page 15, 20 or so, I'd underlined every sentence, which kind of defeats the purpose, right? You're supposed to underline the most important things. So I decided to go the highlighter route. And in those days, they were very thick and fat and large, and so I highlighted it. And then I realized I was coloring in every page. So this wasn't working, so then I just started to star everything, you know, put a little star by the important things. And so I read the rest of the book by putting stars inside there. The book scared the life out of me. <laughs> no doubt about it at all. Um, the book scared the life out of me. The book also inspired me. Um, but I was seeking the holy inside there, and I was having an encounter with the holy inside there. Story number three. Jesus and the mark of the beast. Um, you're thinking, oh, that's a popular one. Yeah, it is, actually. Uh, when I was 13 years old, uh, school, uh, this teacher, my English teacher, Mrs. Edge, and uh, appropriately named Mrs. Edge, uh, she was incredibly hot, um, as your English teacher would be when you were 13. And, uh, and, so, and, and so I wanted to impress my English teacher Every English teacher is now like horrified. <laughs> oh my goodness, every 13-year-old thinks I'm hot. Oh, horrified, I know, I know. And so I wanted to impress her as much as I could, and she said, I want you to write an essay on the spoiling of your best day. And I am a holy child living in a holy moment, and so I'm thinking of a holy day. That holy day would be Sabbath, and what would spoil the Sabbath well, would be one day where we cannot keep the Sabbath, and what spoils that would be maybe the Sunday law, and a Sunday law could happen because one day it will happen and it will destroy the Sabbath. And so I thought, I better write to this teacher who's never heard about Jesus, never heard anything about Christianity, about the mark of the beast. And I wrote this glorious paper. I found pictures from books. In those days, we had to go to the library. <laughs> we had to use a photocopier. Photocopier required coins in the machine. <laughs> and uh, made photocopies, and I used sellotape. I don't know if you know what that is, but that's tape that you stick pictures inside, pieces of paper, and made this entire essay, and put it all together, and sliced it together, and presented it with glory, hoping that she would ask me out for a date. <laughs> it was a holy moment as I handed it over to her. Uh, she didn't say anything to me that day. She didn't say anything to me that a week later, received the paper, got my grade, I'm looking at her longing for a response, maybe just eye contact for a little bit longer. Uh, no, 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 it didn't happen. I remember seeing her in the supermarket, and as I saw her in the supermarket, she disappeared. She walked the other way. I was like, why is she scared of me? <laughs> Did I say something in the essay that was horrifying? Had she called child services? Oh, holy, holy. As we discover and we try to understand what it means to be holy, and we try to understand what's really going on in our own lives. Story number four. Jesus and the girlfriend. I, uh, I really wanted to follow God as best as I knew how, and uh, always knew I was going to be a pastor. Knew I was going to be a missionary of some kind, and so when I was about 15 and 16, I remember uh, I was going out with this girl, and, uh, and I stood outside the library, See, I spent a lot of time at the library. <laughs> uh, and sat outside the library, and I was explaining to her how we could not you know, go out anymore. And, uh, and she was looking at me saying, why? And I was saying, well, you know, the real reason is because one day I'm going to be a missionary. And she said, 
great, we can be missionaries together. I said, I know, but I'm gonna go to a really hot country like South America or Afri said the African continent. I'm gonna be a missionary somewhere far away, not close to England. And you know, the sun is hot out there. You, your complexion is like the English rose complexion, it's very fair. The sun will be out there and poof, you'll disappear in the sun. You will not be able to sustain. Uh, I didn't know anything about sun tan lotion or anything like that. I said, we cannot go out because I need you to survive in the mission field. And that's the truth. Holy, holy. We try so hard. Story number five. Jesus and the watch. I was, my first job was actually as a cleaner. I was 16. And uh, it didn't give me enough hours. So I found another job at McDonald's. And I worked at McDonald's for six years. Phenomenal. Um, learned all my healthy eating habits there. Uh, such a great place. And, uh, and while I was there, you know, going to school full-time, working, you know, 20 hours a week, and, uh, and then when I went to college, I used to work there like 40 hours a week and then study as well. And so it was like what you did, so life at that time. And uh, so I worked at McDonald's all through, through my years of school and college, and, and I earned some money, and earning money was great. So my very first, you know, year of earning money, I, I remember I wanted to get a gift for my dad. And as every child does, and, and you can deny that you don't do this, but I went through my parents' things. You know, you do. As a child, you, you rifle through your parents' stuff, the stuff they say, don't go through this drawer. You've all gone through their drawer. I know this because I've come home at various times and said, who's been through my drawer? Mm. And, you know, I know. Uh, huh? Well, that's it. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I know. <laughs> because it happens. I'm like, how did that thing get moved left and right? Because it's missing. I know who's been inside here searching for things that they should not be searching inside here. Or, you know, where my socks suddenly go missing for years. And so, um, so I had gone through my dad's stuff, and I had found this watch. Uh, it had no strap. It was just this watch, and it was a beautiful watch. Um, I believe it was the very first watch that he got when he started to work, back in 18-whatever. <laughs> it was an old watch. It was an old watch. So I thought, you know what? I'm earning money now. I'm going to go get this watch restored. So I went to a jeweler, and I found it was very expensive to get this watch. It was a, an antique, uh, and it had a beautiful light brown face, so I found the perfect leather strap that went with it. It had one of these, you know, the, the very high uh, watch face that went on top of it, and really thick glass, and they found the, the glass. It took a long time, it took months to get this done. And I saved all my money, and I actually got it together, and I got it together, and I bought it and paid for it, and I brought it to my dad, and I gave him this watch. And my dad looked at this watch, and he was horrified. He was shocked because his watch had lots of negative memories for him. So he took the watch and he threw it away. Story number six. Jesus and childbirth. I remember my second son, Jonah, his birth much easier because I was much more prepared than my first son, Joshua's birth. But with Josh's birth, I'm the one, I think, who needed the gas more than Becky. <laughs> In fact, at one point, I think I may have removed the gas from Becky and said, give it to me. Uh, 
Um, and I don't think Becky really needed it. She runs eight miles a day. She's pretty strong. She's doing fine. I was like, look at that woman. She doesn't need this. Give me the epidural. <laughs> I'm the one who's in pain here. I have to watch this. This is horrifying. She's going to be fine. And uh, I may have not said that. I may have been thinking it. And uh, so, <laughs> so I'm there. But you know what? I think the midwives all knew that I was thinking this. <laughs> And so, at some point, you know, they kind of tried to include me in the birthing process. <laughs> They're like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine, as I'm swooning <laughs> around, holding on to things. And, and so, I, you know, it was, it was fantastic the first time. No, it wasn't. And so, at one point, I just remember as, as Joshua was, you know, about to arrive, and, uh, and they said, hey, could you push that uh, orange button? And for some reason, I don't know, I thought, I thought they said, push all the buttons. Because orange implies push all the buttons. So I just leaned over and just pushed all the buttons on the wall. <laughs> and uh, what all the buttons on the wall in this particular hospital does is it says, someone's about to die. Uh, we don't know what's wrong. Uh, an elephant could be giving birth. Uh, it could be an alien invasion. We need, you know, uh, the CDC to arrive. There's like an infection, a terrorist alert. I mean, we just need every single person in the entire hospital to turn up in the room. So as Joshua arrived, <laughs> literally every single doctor and hospital in that entire place rushes in, which, you know, was voila. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Aren't you lucky, Becky? <laughs> you have a full audience. <laughs> and, and they were like, aha, uh -huh, who pushed? Who pushed? I'm like, I don't know, somebody <laughs> who's the fool pushed all the walls. <laughs> they all look the same color. They're too close together, glasses. I don't know. You know. But it was a holy moment inside there, right? Story number seven Jesus and Denver. I um, try to encapsulate this, and I've said this to you before, to kind of pull together this moment for me, to kind of like gather all the thoughts of what took place inside that room when the five of us met. It's just really hard to, to kind of like place it all in words sometimes. You know, because, because we'd like to be able to describe love and just say, hey, this is what love is. It's just like, it's this. But, you know, you have to experience it, right? We'd love to describe what that meal is, but you have to, you have to come to the restaurant and sit down with me and break the bread and eat it, right? I'd love to explain what the emotions were when, when my father took that watch and he just threw it away. And yet we still love each other and understand each other in a way that's unbreakable, Right? But, but I, I just don't know sometimes how to explain to you what that Jesus moment was like in that Denver room. All I can say is, is that uh, when we said, Jesus, full stop, all full stop, everything rushed together. And we realized that holy is everything encapsulated. It wasn't complicated for us. It wasn't a big statement that we had to write out. We didn't have to like bullet point it all out. We didn't have to like explain it with complicated sub-thoughts and taglines. It was just like, it is. I, I want to call on his name and I enjoy calling on his name and I see his name in everything. I see it in the good things and in the bad things and the hard things and the great things. 
and I long to look for his name in everything. And when there are days where I feel really demotivated, believe me, there are days when I feel demotivated, which is hard to imagine for some people, I do. There are days when I feel depressed, or there are days when I feel exalted and I'm on high and I'm just driven to clouds that are soaring through the sky, I know that Jesus is with me. And it's just that Jesus all is just like floating through it because he is holy. And I feel I'm always standing on holy ground. So what does my childhood prayer and this confrontation and this scary essay and this breakup and rejected gift and childbirth in Denver all have in common? Is that maybe, maybe when it comes to life, we have blocked out our imagination to actually see God, the holiness of God in everything that we do. But I see God in everything. I'm able to exclaim, holy, holy, holy is God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I'm able to see this because I enjoy worshiping his name. And I want you to be able to see that. When I showed you that video earlier, um, it's, a, it's a powerful story and a true story that took place. What actually happened, I'm going to read this to you because I don't want to mess this up at all to you, but what happened is this, the British High Command had literally sent, they were 27 miles away from the front lines with the Germans and the, and the, and the Brits there in World War I, and they sent a, a message to the British soldiers, and they said to them, no fraternization, no temporary ceasefire over Christmas is expressly forbidden. But the 2nd Battalion, the Royal Welsh Fusiliers, were not going to follow orders that day. There's a private, Frank Richards, who made a board, and he pushed it up from the front, and he said, Merry Christmas. And the German soldiers on the other side said, don't shoot. We don't want to fight today. What took place in that long that spread was all sorts of soldiers came out of their bunkers and they shared chocolate, they shared beer, and they shared wine, and they shared food. They shared photos of their loved ones. They told stories of Christmas and the joy of each other's lives. They played soccer on the field and they sang songs about Christmas. Hark the herald's angels sing, First Noel, oh silent, silent night, because God's holiness was present. On Boxing Day at 8.30 the next day, Captain Stockwell, the 2nd Battalion Royal Welsh Fusiliers, climbed up the trench. He held the sign, Merry Christmas, and then he took his pistol and he fired three shots in the air. The Germans held another sign and they said, thank you. They climbed down into their trench and they, sh they shot three shots in the air and the war began again, killing each other brutally. For that brief moment, they paused and they got to enjoy the joy of Christmas. They got to enjoy, they were standing on holy ground. And what made it holy was that they accepted that God was there. You don't have to go to a holy place to make it holy. You can actually forgive each other. You can actually live that moment today. You can actually just live in peace. You can actually share the gift. And you can literally just say, and maybe you can say this with me because I've said it enough now. Ready? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And I look forward to his return.
but he will come. And when he does, I want everyone there. I want everyone there.